Good morning. If you want to read with me, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read 1 through 11. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with acknowledgement and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and also be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you intend on going to the Creation Museum trip and the ARC exhibit, mark on your calendars this coming next Sunday... After the morning service, we're going to meet for about five minutes and determine a date. We're going to have to adjust the date that we came up with. So if, uh, you'll put that on your calendars, bring whatever you need to be able to look at, see what you've got going on so we can determine a good date for that. Paul wrote many letters to various congregations and people of the first century. He wrote letters of encouragement and instruction to Titus. He wrote a letter to Philemon on behalf of his son in the faith, Onesimus. And he also wrote to congregations like Corinth and Galatia. He wrote uh, talking to them about the sin that was going on in the midst of them. And he wrote to talk about ways in which they could correct those things. Now there were uh, parts of the letter that contained blessings and help for the church, but they were in reality letters of rebuke. Paul wanted them to understand where they were getting wrong, where they were going off the track, and he wanted them to understand the consequences they would face if they did not heed his warnings. But then we come to the letter to the Philippian church of Christ, and it is so much different. In the words of that letter, we do not read about rebukes or corrections, What we read about in that letter are words of praise, love, and affection. The Philippians stood with Paul in prayer. They stood with him in fellowship and in financial support when other congregations evidently did not heed his call of need. And he did not forget and he always remembered the love that they shared with him. Because the letter did not contain rebuke or correction in any way, does not intend that the people uh, in the Philippian church of Christ were sinless and they were perfect. That's not what it means at all. They were people and they sinned on occasion from time to time. But what it does mean is 
They were diligent in their Christianity, and they strove to walk in the light as Christ was in the light. 1 John 1, 7. There's no doubt that they were in need of correction from time to time, just like all of us are. But they were the kind of congregation, the type of individuals, who would have heeded that correction and done what they needed to do to correct their lives. As Paul began his letter to those beloved brethren, he used a word in verse 5, and that's where I want us to focus our attention this morning. He used that word fellowship. That's a very important word. That's a word that all Christians ought to pay close attention to, and I believe it's also a word that's been misunderstood and misused, including by me. When we have a meal following services, we call it a fellowship. Now, I can remember when we were in the Crossville congregation up in Crossville, Tennessee. Blakeland was just a little fella running around, and she always wanted to know, are we having a fellowship after services? She enjoyed that. She liked going to those fellowship meals. Some of us enjoy a fellowship uh, fellowship in a game of golf or even going to the shooting range. We enjoy that. Or whatever thing might bring several of us or, <clears throat> excuse me, a few of us together. We enjoy that. Now, I believe what we often call fellowship is actually friendship. I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Now, don't misunderstand me. It is important for brethren, for Christians, to have friendships with each other and to be friendly with each other. In fact, Paul said this, Romans 12, beginning with verse 9. He said, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kind, affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now what he's talking about, he's talking about two different kinds of love there. Let love be without hypocrisy. He's talking about agape love. He's talking about that highest form of love. He said, let that love be without hypocrisy. And then he said, I want you to prefer each other in brotherly love. That comes from the word Philadelphia. Enjoy each other's company. So I think it is very important for Christians to be friends, to be friendly and to enjoy time with one another. But that does not necessarily, or that is not necessarily, fellowship. Now, I want us to consider a few things, and I want, to, I want you to understand why I hold that to be the truth. Because I believe fellowship, when we have fellowship, we will have friendship. But fellowship comes first. What we see when we have a fellowship meal, when we spend time together in fellowship, I think those are the fruits of our fellowship. It makes us have brotherly love for one another. It causes us to be friendly. Now, I want us to consider some things this morning. Why do Christians have fellowship? Now, I'm talking about all Christians, all the way across the board, all faithful Christians, whether they are close friends or not close friends, whether maybe they're just friendly with one another. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Christ was friendly with all of His disciples, and He had some very close friendships. But He enjoyed a fellowship with all faithful. I want us to consider this morning the importance of fellowship. 
I want us to consider the very necessary things that allows us to have fellowship among all Christians. The title of the sermon this morning is The Reasons We Enjoy Fellowship. And the first thing I want us to consider is our common birth. Our common birth. Notice to whom Paul was writing. All saints in Christ Jesus. That's a very important designation. All saints. Now when we talk about the common birth, we do not intend that it is uh, a second-rate birth or that it is a... Uh, all births are the same kind of births, okay? We're not talking about something that doesn't mean anything. Everyone's born down at the hospital or everyone was born in their home. That's just a birth, right? There's nothing special about that birth necessarily to anyone other than the person and the families involved. We're talking about something that is very special. There is nothing common about what Christ did for the world. There is nothing common about the grace that God demonstrated to the world in sending His only begotten Son so that we would have the opportunity at eternal life and fellowship with each other. Nothing ordinary or uncommon about that. No, what we mean is we experience the same birth to become a Christian. Any person who has ever obeyed the gospel and who became a New Testament Christian experienced the exact same birth all of us who are Christians experienced. Every one of us who are saved today did it in exactly the same way that Paul did it, that the Ethiopian eunuch did it, that the Philippian jailer did. All of those things, we do it in exactly the same way. Now that designation is very important because we share a common birth. But let me tell you what is just as important, the development that each person goes through in becoming a Christian. That's very important. What does the religious world tell us? Believe on Christ and you're saved. All you have to do is believe. We don't find that in the New Testament. We don't find Saul only believing on Christ because on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He believed Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He believed Jesus was in fact the very Son of God who died on the cross so everyone's sins could be removed who were obedient and that he was reigning from heaven at that very moment Looking down upon his creation, Saul believed every word of that. Yet Saul was lost. Saul was lost. Saul had to go into the city. He had to go into the city and there the Lord told him, you'll learn what you must do to be saved. And that's when Ananias came to him. He taught him the gospel. He taught him the process and the development that a person has to go through in order to be a Christian. He first heard the gospel. Romans 10, 17, didn't he? It was the gospel that created faith in him that caused him to believe. He heard the good news. He realized Jesus and he was fortified in his belief of who Jesus was. Hearing the gospel made him want to repent of his lifestyle. Now that, that means something. That means something, doesn't it? What if Saul had not repented? Well, he'd just murdered Stephen 
the chapter before that, hadn't he? He just murdered him. He had to repent of that. He had to understand he was wrong and why he was wrong. He did that. Later on, he would uh, preach for those who would listen to him to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. That means action, doesn't it? Saul changed his way of life. He confessed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And when he talked to the Romans in that letter, he said that that uh, confession brings one unto salvation. Not into salvation, unto salvation. And then just as Ananias told that praying for three days, fasting for three days, not drinking water for three days, crying Saul... Acts twenty two sixteen. Why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the name of the Lord? Through obedience. That's what Saul did. So we're not having God talk to us in person. He's not going to whisper to me. He's not going to tell me what I need to do. There's not an account in the whole of the New Testament after the church was established where Jesus Christ, where an angel where God or the Holy Spirit ever taught anybody the gospel. It does not exist. It was always a person teaching another person how to be a Christian. And when we have that designation of saint, and we understand the development that we go through, we comprehend the common birth that we have, and because of that, we have fellowship with each other. And that fellowship leads to brotherly love. Isn't fellowship wonderful? We need to keep that in mind, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, let's have a fellowship meal, and that's not what I intended, and don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with saying, spending time in fellowship, but the fellowship that we enjoy exists, whether we spend time with each other outside of the congregation or not, or whether we spend time with each other outside of a church function that's okay right jesus had very special friends but he still maintained a fellowship christians are blessed with the enjoyment of fellowship because we have a common birth and because we all carry a common burden that's our second point jesus encouraged all people he told them matthew eleven twenty eight verse 30 through verse 30 He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we have two things here that are contrasting each other in that statement. You have those who are heavy laden. What is that? What does it mean to be heavy laden? It means to be under a burden, doesn't it? All people have that burden in common. Prior to obeying the gospel, we're heavy laden and we're burdened under the load of sin. But then Jesus said, come to me because my yoke is easy. Now here it is, that same word again, my burden is light. Well, is the burden heavy or is it not heavy? Is the burden hard or is it not hard? The answer is yes, isn't it? The burden of sin is hard. The way of the sinner is hard, is difficult, Solomon said. The burden of Christ is an easy burden. The yoke is easy. The burden is light. And that's in comparison, isn't it? It's all relative. Is the burden of Christ easy compared to eternity in hell? 
Amen, absolutely. We'll carry that burden from now on, won't we? It's not always easy in this life to be faithful. We have to, we have to strive to be faithful. We have to persevere to be faithful. We have to do the things that God intends and wants us to do. But we carry that same burden. One of the burdens that we carry, and we carry several of them, one of the burdens that we carry as people of fellowship is the burden and the obligation to pray for one another. We need to pray for each other. The section of this passage uh, this morning is summed up in Paul's comment regarding this burden. In verse 7, he said, I have you in my heart. They were in Paul's heart. They were on his mind. Do you know what happens when you have someone in your heart and you have them on your mind and you're a Christian? You pray for them, don't you? You think about them. Do you know what Paul was doing at the time of this writing? Paul was in prison. He was waiting to stand before Caesar to be judged. And he still thought about the Philippian brethren. He thought about those people who loved him and treated him so well. He thought about that congregation of people that he shared a fellowship with, that he worked with, that he prayed with, that he prayed for, and he wanted them to pray for him, and he wanted to pray for them. Christians are to pray for one another. That's a common burden that we carry, and it's an easy burden. It's a light burden, right? Paul told his brethren that he prayed for them, Philippians 1, 9. He wanted them to understand and rest assured that he was praying for them. What is, is there a greater comfort than to know faithful Christians are praying for us in a time of distress? Nothing is more comforting than that. I got a call from a close friend of ours the other day from, from Memphis. She's dying of cancer, and she wanted us as a family to pray for her. That comforted her. She wants Christians to pray for her because she's in a time of need. He told those in Colossae, Colossians 1.9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. He told those in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.7. When we have a common birth, we have a common burden. And one aspect of our burden is praying for each other. And then when we do that, that just unifies us in our fellowship with one another. And because of that great fellowship that is enjoyed among Christians, Paul wanted them to pray for him and he wanted to pray for them. That was something that was a part of his life. That's what he meant when he said pray without ceasing. He didn't mean that the people in Thessalonica ought to pray 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You wouldn't be able to sleep or eat or have a conversation about your job or anything. He's, he wanted that to be an aspect of their life that came naturally to them. Pray when you wake up in the morning and thank God for the wonderful blessings and that, that we will live the way He wants us to live and we'll be as, as good in what we're doing for Him as we can be. Let's pray to God when our families and our friends and those in whom we have fellowship are sick and ailing. Pray for those who are outside the church. They need our prayers too, right? We need to pray that they'll have a desire to come to the knowledge of God. Let's pray for them, right? We need to pray for our work here at at White Oak, right? We need to pray not only for our work as a collective group, we need to pray for each other, those of us who are involved in personal Bible studies. Let's pray that those will be successful. 
Let's pray that we can have a personal Bible study with someone, that the opportunity will come along and that we will accept it. We need to be thankful for all the wonderful blessings that God has given to us, and we need to pray to Him and let Him know that. All Christians must come to the understanding that we are obligated to pray for each other. God expects us to come to Him in prayer and asking Him for the things we need in our lives thanking Him for the wonderful blessings that He's given to us, praying that He'll keep us out of the way of Satan and that we can remain faithful, that we need His help. That's an obligation to those who carry a common burden. We carry a common burden of prayer and we share the burden of partnership, don't we? That's a common burden that we carry. In his same letter, Paul encouraged, Philippians 4, beginning with verse 2, he said, I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Christians share a fellowship. Those who share a fellowship share a common burden. They share a partnership. There's something that we need to be doing, right? Paul encouraged his fellow workers. We see it in Romans 16, 3, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, 2 Corinthians 1, 24, uh, Colossians 4, 11, and other places throughout his letters. We read him encouraging his brethren in partnership to do the things that they know they need to do. We need to understand in what we partner, though, don't we? Do we partner in making sure the building isn't falling down upon us? Absolutely. Do we partner in making sure the building is clean? Do we partner in making sure that when we have a fellowship meal, we have a place for it and that we have enough food and and that we're making all the arrangements? Do we partner in all of those things that we do? Do we partner when when a fellow Christian comes through traveling and he's headed somewhere to do some kind of a work and and we allow him to stay in our homes? Do we partner in that? Absolutely we partner in that. But all those things are just simply a result of our true work as we partner together to please God. Our partnership is solely to preach, to teach, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Now we do that in a lot of different ways, don't we? We may do that through benevolent acts allowing us to have a a connection with someone where we can sit down and teach them the gospel. But that's our main point, right? Brother Larry Acuff is coming up. He's going to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. He's agreed to partner with us in preaching and teaching and spreading the gospel. That's just one aspect of of our main goal. He's going to do it here with us. But it has to be done everywhere, doesn't it? And we partner in a lot of things, but that's the main thing we partner in. Brethren, the Lord's church needs to get serious about studying with and converting people to the cause of Christ. Now, it's important to partner in making plans for a good fellowship meal. I, I don't know that I've ever turned one down. And that happened in the first century. Read about that, Acts 2, verse 46. They continued from house to house, eating their meat with gladness. But it is crucial for us to partner in the spreading of the gospel. That's what God expects. And it's just as important for our own souls, right? 
to engage in the spreading of the gospel because it's a commandment just like taking the Lord's Supper is a commandment. And when we do that, we enjoy the fellowship in which God has planned all along. That's His desire, isn't it? And then when we do that, when we realize the results of doing those things and partnering together, you know what happens? We have a desire to spend time with each other in friendship. That's one of the fruits of fellowship. Paul prayed for and partnered with the Philippian brethren. And as a result, you know what he wanted to do? He wrote a letter and he longed to go back to them. He longed to go see their faces again. Do you remember when he met with the Ephesian elders? He was sad in his heart. He said, I won't see you again. But I've taught you certain things. You know, there is something very important that is missing from the lives of people who do not want to come together with those of like precious faith to worship God. There's something missing in the lives of those individuals. You know, God understands health problems and things come up that we have no control over that prevent us. But when we choose something over Christ, when we choose something over God, He doesn't understand that. He doesn't understand that at all. Now, the issue which lies at the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart, right? We need to choose God. We need to put Him first. Unless we pray for each other, unless we partner with each other, we're not going to long for the fellowship that Paul had with those brethren in Philippi. You know, if we have the proper fellowship, if we're laboring together in the proper way and we're spending time together in the work of the church and praying for each other, we'll want to come together. We'll want to spend time with each other. We'll look forward to coming together when we assemble, Hebrews 10, 25, and spending that period of time in worship to God. Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't get anything out of worship? Have you ever heard someone say, well, I don't feel like I fit in? Well, what we need to understand is, Who's the object of our worship? Am I the object of our worship? Am I coming to worship to try to gain something from that worship? Or am I coming to worship to offer that to God in the correct way that He expects it to be offered? Do we learn when we teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Absolutely. Do we learn when we study the Bible? When we listen to a sermon from someone? Well, I hope we do. But God is the audience he's the one to whom we offer worship what about that person that says i just don't feel like i i'm fitting in you know well if we fit into fit our lives into what god wants then we'll fit in we'll fit in and if we have the proper fellowship we'll want to be with each other that doesn't mean that that we want to spend every waking hour together that's just not reasonable is it but we'll enjoy each other There may be even some of us who we're especially close to, and that's fine as well. But it's all the fruit of having fellowship. If we do not put a priority on assembling together, maybe we're not partnering in the correct way that God expects. Christians enjoy fellowship with God and each other because we have a common birth. We enjoy that because we carry a common burden. And... We have common blessings. That's our third and last point. It was Paul's desire 
that his readers continue to have compassion toward each other. The Philippians were known as a congregation of those who loved each other. And Paul wanted that continue, right? There's no doubt that he wanted them to display the characteristics of love identified in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, to share the compassion and love for those of like precious faith, 2 Peter 1, 1, to spend time together in fellowship. There's no doubt he wanted that to happen. Isn't it enjoyable to show love towards your family member? Don't we enjoy spending time together with our families, with our grandchildren, with our children? Don't we enjoy coming together? Now, I grew up, I'd never heard of a family reunion until I got grown, but a lot of people enjoy having family reunions. Nicole's family on her mother's side used to have a family reunion every year, and there must have been 200 of them that would come together and enjoy that, right? But you know what? Christians were family. That's what Paul told those in Galatia. Galatians 3, beginning with 26. For as many of, for we're all the sons of God by faith. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There should be nothing any closer than Christians, right? Jesus said, for whosoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's your family. God's our family, right? Have you ever heard someone say that Excuse me, they have a closer relationship with a Christian than they do a brother. Someone might say, well, we're as close as brothers. Let me tell you something. I have friends who are Christians that's closer to me than a brother. And that's what God wants. The only thing better than having brothers and sisters in Christ is having your mother to be a Christian, your father to be a Christian, your grandparents to be Christians, your sons, your daughters, your brothers, your sisters, and then you have absolutely the best of everything involved. And then you enjoy a fellowship and a closeness that cannot be found anywhere other than in Christ. And that's the fellowship we enjoy because we have common blessings. And that's what God expects. Paul's desire for those Christians was to continue in compassion. But he also wanted them to receive the blessing of completion. Paul prayed for the brethren to approve those things which were right. Right? To test the things which they heard and which were taught. Listen. He wanted them to determine what came from God and what came from person. And everything that comes down the road that has the name Jesus on it did not come from God. We have to try them. Have to test them. Paul told the Thessalonians to test all things, hold fast what is good. First Thessalonians 5.1 John told the recipients of his first letter, 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the spirit. Someone comes in and they've got a new and improved plan, test that person. Show me where that's stated in the Bible. What do you base that on? We want to have, uh, we want to observe the Lord's Supper on Saturday night because people travel on Sunday. Where do we find that in the Bible? Give me the authority for that. We want to use the instrument along with our singing. Give me the authority of that. Show me an example. Show me a command or a necessary inference that says I can do that. We want our sisters to 
to lead in, in, in a public way. Okay, show me an example of that. Show me a direct commandment of that. Or show me the necessary inference that says we can do that. See, we can't just take everything that's said. Everything that comes along that has Jesus' name on it is not from God. But we are told exactly how we can find the requirements. We're told. And, it's, and we're so thankful that we know how we can develop and produce the fruit of the Spirit. Fortunately, Paul told us, he told Timothy, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Now let's listen to what the fruit of the Spirit is, the manifestations. Paul expected Christians to develop that. He named them. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5.22 And then he added Ephesians 5 verse 9. He said, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And when we read the Scripture, it makes us complete unto every good work. Thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Listen, if we do not abide in Jesus who is the vine, John 15, 5, we're not going to be the branches, the disciples. Nothing out of the ordinary or nothing uncommon is going to happen to anyone to demonstrate to them how to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We come to completion through studying the Word of God. It is a common salvation delivered by the common faith, Jude 3. I cannot help but believe that the church in Philippi enjoyed a wonderful friendship. I know they did. I know they must have enjoyed eating meals together. I know they must have enjoyed spending time together. And they must have simply enjoyed each other's company. I have no doubt in my mind that that's what they did. But all of those things were secondary. They were the results of the fellowship that they enjoyed and that they shared as Christians, their common friendships were the result of a common fellowship, one that everyone had in the same manner. For this time, you do not enjoy the fellowship with God. We talked about how to become a Christian, faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living to continue growing on to completion. Sometimes, those who obey the gospel, they step back from God, they step out of the light, and they fall from grace, Galatians 5, 4. There's a way to come back. We can enjoy that fellowship once again by repenting of those sins, asking God to forgive us, and He will do that. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation at this hour, do that as we stand and as we sing.